In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you. No scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Paul Kinsey. Paul is the Executive Director of Talent Acquisition at Mercy, one of the 25 largest health systems in the U.S. Paul has over a decade of healthcare TA experience, starting as a tech recruiter and growing into a leadership role at Mercy. He and I have a ton in common there, as I too started out as a tech recruiter. Paul is passionate about ensuring his team uses the best lean practices, which we'll dig much more into today in this show. Also, as a bit of a TA tech junkie, Paul deeply understands the TA tech stack and optimizing that against the recruiter, hiring manager, and most importantly, the candidate experience. Paul and I had a chance to meet at Unleash back in April, where we had some deep conversations about AI, automation, and where the future might lead us. Paul, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you today. So uh, maybe before we get started, uh, you know, w- we'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, the team there at Mercy, kind of maybe how big is the team? What, what's the requisition load look like there? Just, just maybe a, a good rundown of the team. Yeah, sure. So, so our team, so our, our health system in general, is about 43,000 coworkers. So the talent acquisition team, uh, we're approximately about 140. So that includes both the recruiting and the onboarding piece. So we're really responsible for both sides of it. And as far as a requisition standpoint goes, it really depends on the team. We have things broken out more by skill sets more than locations. So some of our teams are about 50 to 60 recs and others can hold anywhere from about 80 up to 100 requisitions. Nice. Yeah, and when we met at Unleash, we had a lot of a lot of good conversation just around the the TA tech stack, and and you know I know one of the things that you know I've talked to to not only you about, but you know some of your counterparts there is just really all the work that you've been doing on the onboarding process. So on the show, we haven't really talked about the onboarding process, you know, much, and you know it would be great to you know kind of learn more about some of your evolution there, maybe some of the things that you're working on, you know, kind of on that all important piece of, of the, the TA process. Sure. It's truly been a journey since I've been with Mercy. I've been with Mercy now just over 10 years. And, uh, you know, I came in as a recruiter and it was a very paperwork heavy process and lots of printing and picking the paperwork up to take to the next person to work on. And, you know, it was one of the, the first things I really saw where we had a lot of opportunity. And so back in 2017, I started overseeing our onboarding team and uh, moving to a paperless approach was one of uh, one of the first things that we set out to do. And so that was number one. Our recruiters at the time were working from home. 
and the onboarding specialists wanted to as well. And so we knew we had to find a way to, to make it work. And so we started really in the St. Louis community, taking a look at, you know, we had a lot of individuals that would go to different hospitals, get paperwork, bring it back to our kind of core recruitment offices, and then really try to figure out, you know, how can we do this where we're handing off virtually through, you know, different shared drives and to, to really ease that process and, and try to make it a little bit more efficient as well. You know, that really kind of took us up. We, we had a great process going up to really 2020. And, you know, we really saw the, the need across the teams that we had that ability in St. Louis to be paperless. But, mm-hmm. you know, in Arkansas and Southern Missouri, some of those recruitment teams were still in the office passing, you know, one, one by one to each other. So, you know, we really went through kind of a Lean Six Sigma process mm-hmm. to look holistically at the teams you know, what, what's the best route? You know, everybody did things a little bit differently. We had the same systems that we used. What was the system, Paul? Yeah. So we used ISIMS really for both the ATS and a pre-board process. Are you using so, ISIMS today? So we're still using ISIMS as our ATS. On the pre-board side, we recently had a workday go live back hmm. in February. So really the, the thought was, you know, from the candidate experience, you know, ISIMS, that's really their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as they accept an offer and become a, an employee at that point, yeah, you know, we wanted to get them over into Workday and, and have that system of record in, in one place. Does, and this is just my own, you know, kind of lack of knowledge, but does, does Workday offer a nice kind of portal experience for, for new hires as they walk in? And was that kind of part of the, um, you know, kind of part of the evolution as you move to a more digital process? Yeah, honestly, yeah, they they do have a, a good experience that they kind of walk through. I think one of the the nice things with Workday is the business processes behind the scene. Mm-hmm. When we were on ISIMS, and, and it worked great, but our recruiting, our onboarding specialists would ultimately go through and they'd select a package and then kind of deselect, okay, you're not an RN, you don't need this, you know, the type of tasks that they get. And mm-hmm. so it was quick and easy. Through Workday, you know, when we're hiring someone and sending it from ISIMS to, to Workday, we have the logic behind the scenes to understand what type of role they're going into. You know, are they a provider? They're going to get all these type of tasks. And then we also look at location, too. So, you know, those that are in St. Louis, obviously, are going to get the coworker health tasks on that side. And, you know, what we found is what was being done manually ahead of, you know, previously, we've been able to, to automate by you know, really taking a step back and taking a look at all of our hires coming in and, and who gets what different core tasks mm-hmm. through the process. It's always a piece of the process that, you know, you know, I think most folks don't really understand the complexity associated with it and all of the the different, you know, kind of moving parts. And so it'd be cool to kind of unpack that, you know, uh, you know, a little bit with you. So just so I'm clear, You've got this onboarding, the centralized onboarding function powered by, you know, Workday operating across the entire ecosystem. Is that is that the current state of it? We do. Yeah. And our team, you know, quite honestly, 100% remote. We have yeah. folks outside of the Mercy territory that, you know, are onboarding folks and, you know, everything. Workday really handles it from, you know, A to Z. You know, we, we have different plugins throughout the process, of course, you know, integrations with our background check vendors. Our i9 vendor, we have a really cool process where they can do, it's called an employee appoint, and they have the ability to 
have an authorized representative, a, mm-hmm. a neighbor, a friend that they can go over and provide the documents to, to for the I nine. For the I nine, and hmm. then it goes. What's back that vendor to our, called? What's that vendor's name again? Tracker. Tracker. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty it, unique uh, model. I've actually never heard of that. Yeah, it's fully compliant as well, too. And you know, we looked through the pandemic at different options, and it was funny because I actually had a demo with a, a different. I was. Prior to, I guess we had just gone live with Tracker Mm -hmm. and it was kind of a new startup and they're like, oh, we're doing things differently. And they told me how they did the I-9 process. Mm -hmm. And so when I brought it back to our vendor, they said, actually, just a couple months ago, we haven't widely advertised it yet, but we moved to a similar type of setup Mm -hmm. where everything's digital. You know, the cell phones that they use, they basically get a link and, you know, it, it can read the locations exactly where they are to know, you know, this person's not 50 miles away, just saying, okay, we're friends. I'll go ahead and click. Yes. You mm-hmm. know, this is you, but they have to physically be in the same location. Mm-hmm. Um, and through technology, it can confirm that they're there and, and yeah, it's quick and quick and easy and really kind of allows from a candidate experience standpoint. Yeah. That's um, huge. Yeah, looking back, I mean, we would have them come in three, sometimes four Four times for, you know, drug screen, I-9, paperwork, and now it's just so much easier where it's really just their their coworker health appointment that they have to come in. Yeah, we just recently finished up and are in the process of of publishing our, you know, annual benchmark study, 95 healthcare, you know, organizations in that study, you know, here this year, and one of the you know one of the measurements that that we look at is actually time to onboard across that ecosystem and so median time to onboard i'm looking at it right here across that data set is is 25 days top 10th percentile is 18 days do you have any sense of like you know hey free transformation this was our time this is how long it took to you know, where you're at right now, you know, from a time perspective, and then maybe what you're trying to get to, is there any more juice to squeeze there in your, from your perspective? Yeah. So we started back, it was about three and a half weeks initially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can say when we were on the ISIMS pre-board, we were all the way down to an eight day turnaround time. Wow. Eight days. Uh, eight days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, um, that's business days. Business so day. I guess, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. So you're talking 12 days 12 there. Days. We've moved back to two weeks since mm-hmm. we've gone live with Workday. And, and, you know, part of it is just with the integration coming over, we've yeah. got a couple extra, you know, checks and balances that come into the system. And so, but, but honestly, it's, you know, I, I, I think the fact that we dissected the process so, you know, closely to see, you know, where, where are we stepping over things, you know, where, you know, our opportunities that we were really able to get out a lot of, the, the different mm-hmm. items that, you know, we're just kind of junking up the process, you know, we're going to send this to a recruiter to send it back to us. And does that really need to happen? You know, is there a, a better way to do that efficiently? Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, very proud of what we, we've been able to do there. I mean, eight days to even where you're at right now, you know, post deployment at, you know, 24, you know, I think you said 24, you're still at median, you know, and, and sounds like that, you know, you'll have room to grow back to being in that top 10th percentile, at least, you know, from, from our data set perspective, is there any, so if I'm listening to this right now and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, all right, you know, I know I need to, to, to do some work on my onboarding process. Is there any ahas or, or, or common kind of like gotchas that really gunk up that time to fill that you would, you know, maybe evangelize about or educate us on here today? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it. I think ultimately the the training piece mm. and the document, you know, documenting the, the process through we, our training team, I oversee as well. And they, they're fantastic to where, you know, when we have someone start, whether it's on the recruiting or the onboarding side, um, you know, it's a two week process that they bring them through and they come through and I mean, they have shadowing time, but you know, if, if they get out of training, obviously they can ask anyone, but they have guides that they can go to that really walk through the process step by step. And, you know, some of it kind of came down to everybody was doing things, you know, someone was being postponed, you know, of kind of sending that communication on wasn't as standardized. We knew where to send it, but you know, some of it is those partner teams that we work with. How can we more efficiently connect with them? And we created different through ISOMs templates that it's a postpone, you click it, and then it auto-populates their start date information, really everything you need, the, the person, where they're going. And it just saved a ton of time compared to, to where we used to do things a lot more manually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how can we empower them where, you know, we they can do the more human pieces and the data pieces that we already have within the ATS, let's just auto pool for them. So awesome. Switching gears a little bit here, kind of in the a similar thread, but but you know, this idea of you know running running your your virtual team, your distributed team, right? And you know, we, we obviously are in an era here right now where massive shifts and you know, kind of work models and you know, depending upon who your leadership is, you know, hey, I, I want to see you physically, or hey. You can be 100% remote or, hey, I'm looking for a hybrid experience. And so you, you've talked here a couple of times about success while being, you know, remote, while being a distributed, you know, workforce. Is there, is there something that, that you believe that, you know, you're doing well in that, you know, running a remote team, whether it's your onboarding team, whether it's your recruiters? It's interesting to hear that you've got some investment in training. And so I'd love to learn some more about that and maybe how that, you know, kind of props up you know, your, your ability to run this distributed team? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a couple things. I think the fact that we're a hundred percent virtual now, you know, anytime we have a recruiter an onboarding role, we can truly hire from anywhere, you know, within the, the U S and, you know, truly believe we have the opportunity to, to hire the, the best of the best. And so I think that that just opening up the, you know, the candidate range that we can get has definitely helped us, you know, I think that also virtually when we were in the office, what what we would find is our recruiters would do a lot of work that was not necessarily recruitment related. Mm. And so I think that that's where you have to balance it a bit too, that, you know, you have your operators that want you there in the office and, you know, want that relationship. So, you know, we, we can't move away from the relationship piece of the recruiter and the hiring leader. Uh, but I think ultimately the the fact that you know, now we have a little bit more control that, you know, previously we had groups that were verifying licensure, you know, years after folks had started, you know, they were doing the renewals, you know, they were getting, you know, pulled into different, you know, coworker health, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're having something here at the hospital today for coworkers to come to. And um, it was just a lot of non, non recruitment yeah. type work. And- Can you help me plan this event? Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. And so, uh, you know, and those are, you know, important to have a, sure. a present, but, um, you know, we just found that we could, you know, we knew what they were working on. We, we could better 
you know, control the the return on investment. You know, when we're asked to, you know, have an event or attend an event, we have a little bit more control now to look at, okay, what's the history? What's the return on investment? We we keep record of really any event that we attend. So a year later, if someone else is here, you know, we're able to go back and, and see what type of mm-hmm. uh, return we got on that. And so I think that that's, and I think just the, I, I personally believe there's a lot less distraction at home sure. by myself when I go into the office and, you know, I come home, I feel like, you know, it's great to, to see folks, of course, but, you know, I feel like you can be a little bit more zeroed in mm-hmm. um, when, when you're at home. And um, how, how do you, get, how do you balance the, you know, the clinical ops desire to see their recruiters? You know, do, do you mandate that they visit the business certain intervals? Is there, is there ways that you, you know, allow that to flourish? And we, we run, you know, these, these voice of the customer surveys uh, here inside of our business for, for our client base. And just time and time again, the, the anchor success point. And so like, hey, if somebody has a good voice of the customer outcome, it's because they're rated highly at, you know, communication with their hiring manager. I mean, that's just, if you've got good communication cycles with your hiring manager, you get good general outcomes on the, on it, on, on any voice of the customer. So I'm just curious if you have expectations around that, or do you allow that up to a recruiter to decide, you know, and have some desk autonomy there? I'm just kind of curious how you guys approach that. Yeah. So we do it a couple ways, really. I mean, any location that we're in, you know, that Mercy is, we we try to keep a presence there. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll still hire all throughout. But, you know, if we lose someone in Oklahoma City, you know, and, and we don't feel like we have good coverage there, you know, definitely, you know, we have different recruitment teams that we'll target. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because of events too, you know, sure. going in, you know, on the nursing side. But then the second piece that we've done is we have talent acquisition relationship managers and really they're primarily some of the managers on our team that we have distributed throughout the ministry and and they're kind of that point of contact so you know if a you know really a senior leader wants to talk strategy wants to talk recruitment they have a dedicated resource that can go out and meet with them at any point and uh, many times they might bring you know if they're wanting to talk about nursing they might bring a nurse recruiter with them Mm -hmm. too and so that that's really how we tried to balance it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and having that person at the leadership level come in and be able to, to talk strategy with yep. them. Now, um, do those relationship like, managers, do they run a team as well? They're like, hey, I've got 10 recruiters that I'm running, or are they like account managers where they're, you know, lone wolves, if you will, running around the yeah. organization? No, it's really a split role. So they, they do manage a team. So mm-hmm. anywhere from about 10 to 15 recruiters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll come in. And the way that we're broken up, I think I mentioned it earlier, more by skill set. Yep. So, you know, you might have a relationship manager who comes in and oversees all of our allied health clinical roles. So, you know, your lab, radiology, imaging, therapy. And you might be going in to talk about, you know, RN recruitment yeah. or, you know, entry level recruitment. It's really because they're, you know, equipped to, you know, to, to talk at that and, and they know, you know, kind of the next steps when they come back and it's on the, the nursing side. They have good relationships with those nurse leaders who are also relationship managers normally in, in different markets. And so um, they can kind of partner together and, you know, bring the feedback and then solution together and, and follow up. 
like, you know, every probably TA leader in healthcare in the U.S. going to make the leap here that, you know, candidate supply is a challenge for you, you know, top of the top of the funnel. Any, anything, you know, interesting, you know, from your perspective happening, you know, marketing wise, candidate gen wise that, you know, you believe is moving the needle, you know, for your team, you know, and, and kind of getting that top of the funnel you know, maybe a little bit more robust? Yeah, there's anything I've learned is, you know, you have to have a diverse, you know, recruitment advertising strategy. And so, you know, we we work with all the, the heavy hitters, really. When, when I moved into more of a organizational ministry type role versus, you know, just managing St. Louis, one of the first things that I wanted to bring in was programmatic advertising. You know, you look, we have 5,500 jobs posted at a time. And, you know, how, how do you effectively manage that without, you know, utilizing technology? And so brought, you know, programmatic in. We've been on that for about three years. You know, some of what we've been doing recently is, is really a couple things that we've added within the past six months. Um, one is uh, we've been on ISIM since 2015. Okay. Uh, you know, we have 2 million applications within ISIMs, mm. but... You know, they're, they're hard to resurrect and, and to find within an ATS. And so, you know, what's a smarter way we can do that? And so, so some of the thought is we could potentially pull back some of our advertising if we use some of the warm leads that we already have within our ATS. So we, we signed on with Hired Score and went live about just over six months ago. And Hired Score basically is an AI sourcing tool that the recruiters, all of them have access to any role as soon as they go out and post a position within 10 minutes, they're going to have, um, I think it's initially eight leads, and then you can have more than that after after that. But but really kind of a way of, you know, how can we equip them that you, you post a brand new role and instead of starting from zero, you've got all these leads that you can work with mm-hmm. um, and, and pursue. So that that's been very helpful. And then the other the recruiters that, like that hired score. They do, you know. There, there's been a bit of retraining. If I'm mm-hmm. being honest, you know, oh, yeah. clear hired score basically, if in its full glory, it is your user user interface. You know, day to day requisition. Maybe that's how you configure it, but that's how I've seen it pitched, anyways. And so it's exciting to hear somebody that's actually deployed it here and and has some experience. So that, I think it's, I think it's like. Uh, strategically the right idea, right? You know, these databases, you know, you're sitting on 2 million records, you know, it's just, it's very hard to expect, you know, a human to find the gold nuggets that sit in that, you know, in that database. One of the, one of the statistics that, that, you know, we, we've seen here, and it's a new statistic that we have been tracking is, is candidate inventory. And it's basically how long has the hired candidate sat in your database, so from profile creation, okay, to offer accepted, and the average time across, you know, again, ninety-five data sets is a year. That's how long that that record sat in your database. So you're you're basically aiming at that problem, I, I think, in in the right strategic way. But the curiosity is is are the recruiters going to adopt it, or in their minds, is it just one more? data silo I've got to deal with day in and day out. Well, and that's where, you know, we've really tried to work it into the process. I can tell you one thing I, I'm very passionate about is, 
not having to log into multiple systems. Yeah. We really tried to have a, you know, a primary ecosystem that we're utilizing. And that's where, you know, it it has worked nice where it kind of just sits right on top of, of ISOMs. And, you know, where we push our recruiters is, you know, put it on those hunting hats again. You know, mm-hmm. let's, let's get back to being hunters. And you have to budget out the time. I mean, when you're working 80 to 100 requisitions, there's always going to be you know, work to do and offer to extend. And and so you have to be intentional about blocking that time out on your calendar yeah. that, you know, I'm going to source twice, 30 minutes a week. And then we're, you know, going to see where that leads us. Cause we know that's going to pay off in the future. If we can kind of, you know, budget, you know, more effectively budget our time. Mm-hmm. And so and I think that's where the biggest retraining has had to be is, you know, we, we've, really the past three years operated at such a high volume that, you know, we, we've been able to band-aid it with our processes and getting them through, uh, you mm-hmm. know, effectively, but, um, you know, it, uh, you have to budget the time to ultimately get that sourcing. And Do you find that the recruiters are adopting the idea of, you know, hey, I'm a Ford S recruiter. Hey, Paul, you've loaded me up with 70. And now you're asking me to source, like, are they seeing the value there? Or is there some retraining and some philosophical movement of being a full desk recruiter with larger volumes? Yeah, we have, you know, we have a little bit across the board, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be honest, we, sure. we, you know, we had some that right away were power users and then, and, you know, when we would kind of meet and have training sessions with the team, our, you know, our super users, you know, we kind of highlight and they would... Mm-hmm bring, you know, best practices, because we really wanted it to kind of come from the team rather than just, you know, we, leadership. We yeah. Hey, yeah. this is a good idea. Do this. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen the numbers, you know, I want to say we were at about, you know, when we first went live about 15% utilization, mm. then, you know, got up to 25%. And, you know, now we're about at 70, 75, you know, so we're, we're getting to to that and it's it's the consistency sure. you know, some of them we see you know one weekend and then the next week uh, and so it's we we have weekly huddles every Wednesday and, and I bring analytics to it and mm-hmm. it shows you know the days that you were active within hired scores so are you getting you know, good stories of hiring nurses that were sitting in your database some I mean yeah year you know they've been in there a year or you know, some of the interesting ones we've seen is they, they click to apply to a job. They never fully completed a recruiter reached out, you know, nothing necessarily happens. Then, you know, six months, a year later, hired score, they come up and the recruiter reaches out. They're interested. And I mean, some of them, I mean, it's been 10 days from the time that we reached out and hired score that, you know, they were hired at that point and we were onboarding them. That's awesome. the, you know, the, the proverbial time to fill, you know, is, is always the, the number that, you know, leaders understand. It's an easy one to understand. And, you know, we kind of broke down the, the time to onboard and, and how much time is baked into that. As we're, as we're riffing on data here this morning, the other, you know, kind of aha in this year's data set is in and around time to source. Okay. And so that, that is the, the, the time that, lapses from the requisition being posted to the hired applicant ending up on the requisition. So that that period of time, right? Like how long does it take from post to where the hired applicant ends up? And so median, median across is 52 days. Okay. Top percentile, top 10th percentile is 32 days. 
And so like when we think about, you know, lean and, and, you know, opportunity to improve, it actually has the biggest delta, even more than, you know, fixing the onboarding process and chopping off two days there or three days there or whatever. That time to source is really the thing that drives us all forward and alleviates the speed issue in our hiring leader, you know, heads. And so it's awesome to hear that, you know, you're delivering a time to source in, you know, eight days on a nurse, right? And so that would be an interesting metric to pay close attention to as, as further user adoption of hired score happens. So. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to connect on it. You know, yeah. I, I still consider ourselves, we went live, you know, right around Christmas time, we had a work day yeah. go live and then um, From my really- understanding, you're you're probably in a small, small group of healthcare talent acquisition organizations that have taken the leap into you know truly you know machine learning or artificial intelligence on this piece of the process. Um, just kind of curious, do you have do you have you know a scheduling? Is, is that like automatic scheduling automation with the hiring managers? Is that baked into your iSIMS product, or is that using something different for that, or is that yeah, we're, we're utilizing Modern Hire for that. I think we started with Modern Hire, I want to say 2018. So yeah. it's been about five years. Um, it, uh, you know, for the, we do it a couple different ways. The recruiter has that automatic interview scheduling, but we also have like a fully on-demand interview experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have eight different interview templates that, you know, you're oh. an RN, you're an MA, that's more personalized to them. But, you know, the thought is, Within healthcare, you know, you have all sorts of shifts and, you know, if, if it works better for the candidate that they, they work, you know, midnight shift and they get off and they're sleeping and, you know, they want to do it at 6 p.m. at night, you know, the next day they can basically, they get, you know, a, a text and they click into it and they'll get a call. Mm. And it's a pre-recorded interview from one of the individuals actually on my team that, um, you know, we, we connected with each service line and whatever the questions you want for an RN and they have the ability to, to answer. And then after they've completed, you know, they, they hit pound mm-hmm. and then get to the next question. And then the recruiter comes in the next morning and they have a fully completed interview to go through and then they can schedule for the leader at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's been, you know, some like to still talk, you know, oh, yeah. but it, but kind of having the option. I'd say it's about 50, 50 across the board, those that do primarily on demand versus those that like to hop on the phone and, and connect. Yeah. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a Knacker membership today. Free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as $80 per person annually. Learn more at Knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You've got a lot of sophistication, Paul, in your in your tech stack. And so so kudos there. Is there anything as you kind of look forward, you know, tech-wise, process-wise that you're really excited about? Or is it just really leveraging the the investments that you've got in play? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, next on our list, I would really like to get a, a referral software. I've, I've seen some demos recently. You know, we do it now through the ATS directly into Workday you know, configure exactly what that is, you know, what the referral amount is, but there's some cool, you know, cool pieces of software out there that, sure. you know, better can automate that process, make it easier for folks to refer. And then also keep track and you know, some of that manual work that, you know, has happened in the past. You know, I think 
from a cost per hire perspective, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity there. And so that's, I, you know, say definitely something that I feel like we have a good program, but feel like we can continue to, you know, to improve in, yeah. in that area. It's one of the, one of the bigger projects that, that I've worked on at, at Trinity Health. And so I'd spent three years at Trinity and then, you know, had rolled out at the end of the year here to, to Rogue Hire, but was working to, to overhaul you know, that program. And, you know, it's kind of, there's an evangelism message, you know, there, which is like, Hey, and again, just back to data, you know, across, you know, the data set that, that we look at in a median for percent of external hires coming from referral is 25%. And so in my book, like if you're doing 30% or greater of your external hires coming from referrals, you have a high performing referral program. We see some programs will have, you know, upwards of 40, 50% of their external hires coming from referrals. It's one of those ones that has a mixture, in, in my opinion, of, of policy, strategy, and then, you know, kind of the right incentive structures layered in. But to do that, you know, effectively at scale, you know, I, I do believe you need some automation, especially handling the payouts. I mean, which is always a challenge if you're going to run cash through them. And then, you know, really, you know, trying to, to cultivate, you know, the experience for, you know, in our industry, folks that are not at a PC all day long. And so, like, I don't know that I necessarily totally need, you know, the admin inside of my organization referring me a ton of talent, but who I do need engaged is my nurse, right? Because my nurse knows three other nurses. And so how do I engage them in the process? And so, you know, we use and, and partner closely with a, a company called Aaron. Um, and they're a year in at, at Trinity and doing a nice job. I, mean, I think there's learnings, rooms, room to grow, you know, with, as, as of with anything. But I think you're wise to, you know, get control of that piece of your process, especially with what's going on, you know, from a marketing perspective and, and not being fully leveraged on programmatic, not being fully leveraged on Indeed and, and kind of taking control a little bit of your supply side. So that, that's smart. Yeah, definitely. Have you seen increases in retention as a result, or is it? Yeah, it's interesting. We did a study before we got it approved by our executives at Trinity. We did a we did a study on referrals and referrers. Okay, and so what what we wanted to look at was the retention rates of the referrals people that were, that came into the organization, and then those that referred. And what we found interestingly on both. Um, personas is that they stayed at a 25% better rate than just regular population. And so if you were engaged in a referral program, you were more likely to stay in, in the organization. And if you came in as a referral, you were more likely to stay at the organization to the tune of you know 25% in our case. And so I think that's an interesting study just to ponder on. It makes logical sense. Like, hey, if I'm engaged in a referral program, I love the organization, I'm bringing talent in, I'm bringing the talent in that I want to work with. And then, you know, I, I think also if you're referring, you you provide a good proxy for the understanding of culturally what's going on at that unit, what's going on inside of that hospital, um, and, right. and uh, can be a, a wonderful brand ambassador. And so you're more likely to bring talent in that, that would fit well inside of your facility. Yeah, that's significant. Yeah. Sure. We've seen those increases. So I know we're, we're about out of time. I know you're a busy man. You got a lot going on and I appreciate you giving us some time here today. You know, we're just kind of curious to ask this question because I, I, I believe that, you know, those in healthcare, wherever you're at in the ecosystem, sometimes show up there for a reason. Is there 
is there is there a why for you know why Paul is has been in healthcare for for over a decade? Is is there something that attracts you to this industry? Quite honestly, I mean, I you know when I moved over to Mercy, you know, some of it is I wanted I was in IT consulting previously mm-hmm. and wanted more of a career, um, and you know wanted something that I uh, could kind of be proud of, and I think the fact that I could never go into the hospital and do some of, you know, what our amazing staff does yeah. each and every day. But the fact that I can play a part in it and, yeah. and bringing folks in that are going to take care of, you know, sick patients, something I, I am very proud of what, what our team does. And, you know, we, we are very focused on the, the culture piece at Mercy. We're, you know, a Catholic healthcare organization. Yeah. And, and and I think ultimately just knowing that what we're doing is making a difference. Anytime I go to the hospital, there's that that's a of pride that you're you're part of something greater. So Yeah. I feel the same way. And in my, my path, career path was identical to yours, you know, meaning that I started out IT staffing came in and I was actually the IT recruiter at UPM. So it wasn't even a clinical yeah. recruiter, right? I did I, yeah. I recruited IT and I I did get the opportunity to recruit a little bit on the clinical side, which is very valuable, you know, in, in my journey. Had a guest on the show here last week, and I think he summed it up pretty well, which is like, regardless of where you're at, you know, in the system, you know, meaning like, hey, I'm an IT recruiter, hey, I'm a nurse recruiter, or hey, I'm a piece of technology, right? And I'm the account manager working with Paul. Like we can't forget that at the end of the chain on all of our responsibilities is a patient. And, you know, I, I, I like that. And, and, uh, you know, I, I use that now I'll, I'll take that on as, as one, one to, to march forward with, but it's the truth, right? At the end of everything that we're doing, all of us is, is a patient. And I think those that, that choose to stay in healthcare really recognize that, understand that and, and attempt to, even in the whirlwind of the day to day, to, to, to focus there when things get tough. So Paul, it was great getting a chance to talk with you here today. If folks want to engage a, a, a little bit with you, are you are you out, active out on LinkedIn? What's, yeah, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, LinkedIn, very active out there. So feel free to send me a request and I'd love to, love to network. Yeah, man. Paul, thank you so much. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.